Hello and welcome to this week's Property Matters on Dublin South FM, the show that brings global trends to an Irish audience. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or by email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host today are, my, are Carol Tallon and myself, Brian Fox. We have an exciting lineup ahead of us today for the show. First up in the studio is Pat Davitt. He's CEO of IPAV. Pat, good to see you, have you in the studio. Thank you, Brian. Thanks very much for the invitation. Let me just ask you first, oh, you're welcome. Let me ask you first, how, is the, how are your members finding the marketplace, I suppose, Dublin and nationally at the moment? Um, we have a, a property barometer, which you may know about. We take out every six months. It's actually just due to come out at the moment for the results for the end for the last two quarters of 2019. And in those uh, two quarters, a lot of the property markets have been flat. Um, we look at 41 different property markets throughout the whole country and we look at the actual sales that have happened, not just what the asking prices are, etc. We look for members that gives us an average price of sales of two-bedroom apartments, three-bedroom semis and four-bedroom semis uh, for the past six months. And we found generally looking at it, we found that some of the markets are, are, are back slightly, not near as much as where they were uh, the previous six months. Some of them are actually increasing again, which is uh, probably a good sign because there has been a correction in the marketplace, which you're probably well aware of. Mm-hmm. And uh, in December, things seem to have picked up a little bit again. So I think a lot of the certainty with that that uh, Brexit has brought, I think, has kicked into the market in December. And right into the new year now, it has markets have moved on slightly again. Um, I think for, for a lot of the secondhand, the new houses have changed slightly a bit as well, and the prices have moved on as well, which is very, very good. And tell me, is, uh, how is our reputation internationally? I believe that the word has got out that the Ireland has a spot of problem in terms of uh, getting property and, and, and renting property as well. Is that is that a factor? Do you think in in, in businesses coming here? Um, you mean in in property ownership that property the properties aren't there for people to buy? Exactly, yeah. Well, I I think that's no big secret. Yeah. I think if you look at any of the of the markets or any of the commentators have been talking about this for quite a while, um, like it, it is a big thing. Uh, it's very difficult to put your finger on it as to how many properties and houses are needed in the residential market. We heard the central bank telling us recently that we needed 30-odd thousand, 4,000, I think, or something like that, a year for the next 10 years, which is 340,000. Uh, we're building about 20,000 at the moment. The uh, RSI recently told us that the price would have to come down if we're going to build these amount of houses. Uh, but yet, a lot of people down at the bottom end of the market can't actually buy properties. Yeah. because they. And, and the funny thing with political parties at the moment, and I was listening to the leaders debate last night, and they were telling us they couldn't afford to buy properties. That's not the case. They can afford to buy properties. There's absolutely no problem because they're able to they're able to prove that they can buy properties by the rents that they're paying. But they're not able to borrow enough money. And that's the huge problem. Yeah. And that's where the sticking point is. Mm-hmm. But I think from foreign lands, like... Uh, because people of the are, central uh, bank regulation, obviously. Yeah, talking about yeah. the central bank yeah. macro, macro uh, prudential. Mm-hmm. But I think from uh, countries, foreign countries, I think, looking at it, yes, of course, but I think for workers that want to come here, there are jobs and uh, people will always get somewhere to stay when they're working. I think there is a shortage of housing. There's no doubt about that. But the funny thing is that from 2012 or 13, we had 300,000 houses too many. In four or five years later, we had 300,000 houses too little. So, like, it's a very funny market in a small amount of people as to where we're going, you know, and how many houses we need uh, to keep the, the market topping over. Mm-hmm. And can I just ask you, too, um, <coughs> now that we're in election time at the moment, um, what would your members' reaction be to current government policy? I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, the, minister, the current minister is getting out of stick in relation to it. Well, the strange thing is when you read, as I'm sure you have read, both, both of the manifestos of the two main parties, Van Gael and Fianna Fáil, you would read them and you would say, God, they have really put their finger on what's needed. But if that's the case, why haven't they done it? 
Like the housing market, I don't think it's any more difficult than any other market. We need houses. We need places for people to live. So, like, are we going to build them? Are we going to let people buy them? What are we going to do? Um, and like, they haven't done that. But reading their, all their manifestos, they seem to know exactly what they want to do. So it's very strange, like when you look at it like this, because some of the things that we've been saying for a long number of years are in those manifestos. But even to meet with the minister to discuss those sort of things in the past has been very, very difficult. You couldn't do it. And even when you do, do when you do meet with them, it's still difficult for them to actually take you serious that that is what's needed. But still, when you see the manifestos, it's a different thing altogether. I think that's a really interesting take on it because I, I think you really nailed it there. It's frustrating to see the parties show an understanding of what needs to happen. And then you wonder why hasn't it happened in over the past five, five, six years. So I understand the frustration there. But in terms of meeting with the ministers, do you do your members, are their voices being heard? Because the idea of IPAV obviously in large part is as a not just a lobby, but actually as a as an organisation that that um, is representing estate agents. So estate agents, this is the mechanism that they use to speak to their minister? Well, this is the, the mechanism that probably IPA members will use to try and meet ministers and to try and discuss with government and make them aware of the situations that are happening on the ground. We've been proposing for seven years now at least that there should be a council, a working council of advisors behind the government, that the government can meet with people that's in the business that can actually tell them what's wrong. Just because you're an auctioneer, it doesn't mean to say that I have a conflict of interest if I tell somebody that they need more houses. Mm -hmm. Why shouldn't I tell them? Because I know... Is that, like, would that work on the same basis that, um, you know, it's one of the things we've discussed a lot on the show here in the past that for some reason um, health and, and housing seem to really fall, fall mercy to whichever political party is in power at the time. Whereas we look at other or similar um, national interests, like, for example, tourism or food, and they are able to adopt a long term strategy and successive governments work towards that long term strategy. Yet in health and housing, we don't seem to be able to do that with each new changing of the guard. Um, good policies, perhaps, that haven't been given an opportunity to work are thrown out. And we seem to go back to square one a lot. So um, I, I suppose really what I'm what I'm wondering here is if there was um, an advisory board as, as you're proposing there, would that help stabilise housing policy so that it wouldn't be so subject to political whims? Well, I think it certainly would make ministers aware of the problems if they're not aware of them as it is. Um, like, I remember sitting down with the Minister for Housing not many years ago, and this was supposed to be a storm, a, branding, a brainstorming. And we were sitting down, about 14 or 15 of us, and the minister sat down and his first sort of shot off the hip was, I hope he said that uh, you all feel the same as me, that we need to have more of these, uh, I call them vulture funds, he called them professional landlords, uh, into buying properties in the marketplace. Now, he was, we were all brainstorming, but he was actually had his own mind made up and he had he the department agenda. with him. Hmm. So he had his own agenda before ever. And I said to him, sure, what's the point in you telling us this if you want to get our opinion? And he said, well, he said, this is really what's needed. And it may be well what's needed from his eyes, mm. but it's not what's needed from the people that are in the business. And I told him that at the time, and things haven't changed. Um, but like, you know, it's it's ideal for us to do that. I wrote to the minister recently in on, uh, on um, finance about the 7.5% stamp duty. 
And I got a, re- a, a, a reply back and I was actually shocked at the reply because he seemed to say that, well, the or whoever wrote the letter seemed to say that the market is flying along basically you know that uh, it's going very well I was making the point that it's not going well in the country like once you leave Maynooth mm. the country starts mm. but so it sounds as if he's been dictated by civil servants well he said that his advisors had been telling him and now his advisors couldn't tell him this because like basically what they were saying was that the price that the prices were practically similar similar across the country as they were in Dublin things were going every bit as well and they had put on 6% stamp duty which was an increase of 4 previous and, and now it's important to point out that we're talking about commercial property, and, commercial property and we yeah. know that in terms of commercial property we know that activity outside the capital isn't isn't even it isn't even a fraction but it isn't even a fraction but he seemed to sort of think that because he put on 4% and maybe a couple of people like me wrote about to him and talked about it that it went on and no hassle and now he was going to stick another 1.5% on but I can tell him that in, in, in good Midland towns like you talk about Tullamore Mullingar Athlone uh, Port Leash Roscommon Navan those type of towns if you sold a property there in 2006 or 2007 at the height of the property market and you got 3 million for it a lot of those properties today wouldn't be worth 1 million now that is factual Okay. And they, those people are thinking that the property market is flying outside of Dublin the same it is in the city. Now, it's different in the city, and that's fair enough. But we asked him, could he could he, could he, he bring this in, you know, on stages? Could he bring it in, we'd say, maybe a change up to, maybe no change up to 500,000, and from there on, and it wasn't a runner, you know, it's not a runner to do it. But, like, it's, it's worrying to think that people are advising him on this basis when most people outside of Maynooth know that it's not right. Mm-hmm. And do you think that this <coughs> that this situation comes about because there's a lack of industry bodies feeding into feeding it, into policy? I think it's terrible to say that there's no. Well, certainly we're not. But maybe the minister has people advising them, but I have not one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no doubt about that. And we've been calling for this for years and years. Like we've been calling for uh, for small builders that they should be able to build and they should be able to get finance. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, I see in the fee and fall manifesto where they're looking at exactly the same thing now where they set up this fund of 750 million they charge 8% for uh, interest which is a lot less than what you would get maybe from some of the vulture funds out in the marketplace because you'd be looking at 15 or 16% Absolutely. but they're saying that some of those small builders which are building 3 and 4 houses maybe a year maybe maybe 10 or 12 houses a year they're the builders that built us out of a lot of difficulties as we are at the moment like that money could be borrowed in Europe and could be given to those builders at 2 and 3% but they're given it through the pension fund and that pension fund wants to make money so they're actually making money on giving the, in- giving the money to the builders and charging them interest and they're expecting them to build houses then and build them at a price that people can buy mm-hmm. like, and this is in the manifesto that they're going to look to do this and it's a great idea it should be done. There's no doubt about it. But the interest rate is the thing. Mm. If you're able to give builders money at 2% and you're able to ask them to build so many properties and even if you talk at the end of the day of uh, a price control at the end of the day, I think builders will listen to it because many of these builders have little sites and small sites and they will build them. Mm-hmm. But, but, but is the issue still the cost of land as well, in Dublin particularly? Well, I think the cost of land, Brian, is a concern. But um, I recently looked at a site that was for sale down in Wexford. And it was bought in the boom. Uh, there was no planning permission on it. It was bought for over four million, and now it has planning permission on it for about thirty-five houses. And it was sold very recently for eight hundred thousand. And one of the biggest builders in Ireland owns that site. So, like you know, the land prices certainly there's a problem there, and the land prices there is a price a problem with the land. And in Dublin, there's probably a price problem with the land. But in most areas of the country, houses that were sites that were a hundred thousand are probably now ten thousand and maybe fifteen thousand. Mm-hmm. 
And that's re- that's realism. That's where we are, and that's where the prices are. So that land isn't as huge much of a problem as it was. But what is a problem is that builders have land if they have history with the land, like they bought the land at huge prices. Then there is a problem because yeah. they're trying to get those prices back, and like that's up to them, you know, really from from that point of view. But mm-hmm. to buy land today and to start off at a green site and to buy it isn't that expensive or near as expensive as what it was. Mm-hmm. Okay, look. Given your membership and the breadth of membership that you have right across the country, um, I, I'm I'm almost assuming that you have a good sense of taking the pulse of what the industry is thinking about. And, you know, we've, we've talked about development land, but in, for, say, the rental market, last year we saw the, the extension of rent pressure zones um, outside of the main urban centres. Have you got a sense or have you gotten any feedback from your members as to was that the right move? Is that something they were in favour of? Um, there's a whole problem from the first day that the rent pressure zones were set up. And I was actually at that first launch. And I spoke to, at that particular launch and I talked about the rent pressure zones that were set up in a couple of areas in the city in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Um, and they set up a few areas. And in those rent pressure zones, they left new houses out of the rent pressure zones so that people could charge what, basically whatever rent they wanted to. And they've been out of those rent pressure zones until 2000 and thir- 2019. July 2019, the minister eventually changed the law and put them into it. So you have houses that are inside in the rent pressure zones. You have houses that are outside of the rent pressure zones. If the people outside can charge where they want, they're bringing the rent up to X, Y, or Z, let it be high, whatever mm-hmm. it is, more than likely going to be higher than what the previous ones are and they can change the rent at will you have these people in the rent pressure zones who can't change only by 4% and then you have people in the rent pressure zones who were caught because they were renting their houses and they were being very decent to tenants and not changing the rent every year and bringing it up to scratch and everything like that where you could have people who were actually charging a thousand euros for rent when the rent was actually two thousand and now they're stuck in the rent pressure zones and they can only put up their price by 4%. So we're saying to the government that you should have put a rent pressure zone right across the country. Mm-hmm. Put every house into it. Every house. And put them in at market rent. And every property would be in it. And even in the in the new Sinn Féin bill, I see, you know, for the, for the way they want to, to freeze the rent, they want to leave the HAP properties out of it. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. Germany did that in Berlin, but they have thousands of properties. We don't have thousands of properties in Ireland that we can do that with. And in terms of the proposed rent freeze from Sinn Féin, have your members expressed opinions on that? Well, at the moment what happens is that there is a rent freeze at the moment for two years mm-hmm. out of the rent pressure zones. So if you're not in the rent pressure zones, you can rent your house today and your rent is frozen for two years. And what happens when you come out after two years? You want to rent it up to where the rent should have been mm, yeah. and should have gone to. So you come out of that rent pressure zone and the rent goes up by 30, 40, 50%. And hence, we don't see the 4% in, 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 in the, the way we should see the 4% in the figures because these are the rent increases that are coming out of the two-year rents are actually bringing them all up. So that that 4% now, in, in average, is, could be gone to 6 or 7%. And of course, everybody's saying the rent pressure zones are not working. Of course, they're working because you can't bring the rent above 4%, mm-hmm. but it's the other ones that are coming out of it. Mm-hmm. Now, I hear uh, Sinn Féin now speaking about that it should be at CPI and it should be at CPI levels. And if it is at CPI levels, well, then fair enough. I think three years is a long time to tell people that the rents are frozen. But if it's a thing that it's going to work and we're going to have it to work right across the country, every property needs to be in it. And do, do you believe, sorry, sorry do, just right. because this is important, particularly in the context of the election, do you believe that there's a problem, constitutional problem over, over the rent freeze? Um, well, I'm obviously not a lawyer, so I, I don't know, but, uh, you know, obviously 
the government talks about it and I'm sure that they have looked at the lawyers and if they say there is, like we can believe that there is, I'd say, now the question is, can they get over it? Well, I mean, the, 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 they're saying now is to test and bring to the Supreme Court. Do you think that that would be a, a valuable exercise? I, I I don't know that it would or wouldn't been quite honest about it, you know, like I, I, I don't honestly know that. Um, I think that uh, at the end of the day, I think the, the government parties, it's, or the, the parties in the doll at the moment, it's a pity that we can't all agree, like apart, talk apart, apart from meeting people outside, that they can't all meet inside and sort out what the policies should be to get us out of this situation we're in. Now, the big question is, Brian, is there this big shortage of houses or is there not this big shortage of houses? That's the problem because there are so many vacant houses and so many other scenarios with houses. Like uh, part of our, we talked about the mortgage prudential rules. We said to the, the central bank when, they're, when they reviewed their, their, their uh, rules in November, we said to them that you should raise the allowance for uh, people who are earning up to 50,000 euros that they could borrow four and a half times their income. Mm-hmm. Not that we want these people to borrow more money, but you've somebody who's earning 40,000 euros. I know I heard the Taoiseach last night saying that the average rent, the average wage is 47,000. It may well be, but it's not down the country. Yeah. But if you take somebody who's earning 40 or even 47,000, if you take someone who's earning 50,000 just for the sake of working it out, they can borrow three and a half times that, which is 170,000. Yeah. They won't buy any property for it. Tell me, just with the time we've left, talk to us a bit, a little bit about the digitisation of buying and selling in Ireland, prop tech. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> well, um, obviously we talked through, about this off, off air before we came in. So. Yeah, okay. And obviously, um, IPAV expressed quite a strong opinion in the media last week. IPAV do a survey on this, a uh, convincing survey among members, and we do it mostly every two years. Uh, this year we did it. Uh, we had over 300 members that actually have completed it. And it's a simple run of questions, uh, you know, as to how long it takes to close a sale from the time that you get the instruction to the time that the contract is signed and then from the time the contract is signed to the actual deed is closed and completed. And the average is 10 weeks. So that the average could go from 10 weeks to maybe 20 weeks. So we're asking that there should be an e Advancing system on PropTech, you know, that, that it should be there. A click of a button should be able to do this. But apparently there are many, many problems from the time that somebody gets an instruction. Like if I go to look at somebody's house, obviously there are things that's required, certificates, maps, planning is seemingly one of the biggest things. And across Ireland, there are so many different planning authorities that apparently they all have different uh, uh, software systems. There's, there is no system apparently that solicitors can actually search. There is one system that they can actually get planning documents. Some of the documents are on these systems, some of them aren't on these systems. So this is the first thing and a hub needs to be set up by the property registration authority that is have all the plannings on it throughout the country and if that was set up for starters it would be a huge thing. Now granted there are other problems with certification, there's other problems with solicitors and contacting each other, there's other problems with people who don't answer the solicitors and all this type of thing but I think if the if that's the central the human, part of it... That's the human element. That's the human element but I think if the central part of it was set up and set up properly I think that we would move on and move on very quickly and I think there's no reason why actually in the Fianna Fáil uh, manifesto there's something about probate and they're talking about probate when people die that the relations take so long to put their properties to get them sorted out. Uh, but the living ones are, are are here as well and the living ones needs to be sorted out. If you sell your property, you want to move on. Mm-hmm. You want to sell it, you want to get your money, you want to buy another house and you want to move on. That's what you want to do. So they need to extend that to cover e-conveyancing as well. Yeah. Look, I, I think that's a huge topic. It's one that's come up so many times on the show over the past 12 months. So it's definitely something we'll be revisiting. And I know the ex- the frustration you're expressing is something that we've heard here quite frequently. So it's definitely an, a topic that we're going to come back to again. So Pat David, from IFA, CEO of IPAV, thank you so much for joining us today. Stay tuned after the break. We'll be joined by Carl Freel, National Sales Manager at Topcon Positioning Ireland. Stay tuned. 
You are listening to Dublin South FM on 93.9. この番組は地域密着型を目指しています。Do you need a professional looking website or graphics for your company? Does your current website work on all modern devices such as tablets and smartphones? If not, you are losing business. Preamp Digital Media provides a full range of solutions to give your company the edge in today's digital world. Please visit www.preampdigitalmedia.com for all the information you need. That's www.preampdigitalmedia.com. Do you play bridge? Well, why not join us for a game at the Don Marmion House in Dundrum every Thursday from 7 30 to 10 30. We're just opposite the Dundrum Town Centre on the Sandyford Road. No partner is required and a joker available. And it's only five euro per person, including light refreshments. That's Bridge at the Don Marmion House in Dundrum every Thursday, 7 30 to 10 30. Are you part of a local community group or representative organisation active in the Dunleary Rathdown area? Why not join a network of over 400 such groups in the Dunleary Rathdown Public Participation Network? You can join the group, influence local policy, get regular updates about funding and other opportunities, connect with other groups like yours, publicise your group, and even get free training and support. Make sure your voice is heard through DLR Public Participation Network as a registered group in the county. Don't leave your wrath down Public Participation Network. For full information, find us online at dlrppn.ie. That's dlrppn.ie. Broadcasting to South Dublin on 93.9. This is Dublin South FM. And you're very welcome back to Property Matters here in Dublin South FM with Carol Tallon and myself, Brian Fox. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email at, at iPropertyRadio.com. So, as mentioned there before the break, we now have in the studio Carol Freel. Carol Freel, right? K A R O L Freel. National Sales Manager at Topcon Positioning Ireland. So, Carol, what does Topcon actually do? I suppose、uh, we provide technology,、um, technology for the construction industry, not just construction industry. We're also involved in other industries,、uh, the medical industry, for example, for eye testing, medical care equipment for hospitals, for example. And agricultural industry, we're involved in technology、uh, when it comes to the machines,、uh, not just the tractors, but implements and automizing that industry, really, if you know what I mean. So we're、mm-hmm. adding technology to the machines to make them a lot more efficient in what they do. Right across the board? Right across the board, yeah. So、mm-hmm. software and uh, hardware, uh, Sensors,、uh, weighing systems, positioning systems, I suppose,、um, and that's also on the construction side. It's positioning、mm. uh, systems onto machines and also、uh, software, cloud technology, and connecting machines up together.、Um, for example, in the construction industry, we, we supply、um, software and hardware, as I say,、uh, and just makes that a business and a lot more efficient. Does that make diff- business difficult for you because you're not specialising in any particular area? It、you、does, but we have different divisions and different specialists、okay. within okay. each of those、okay. divisions. That look after that, if you know what I mean.、Um, Topcon is a company or a Japanese company.、Uh, so originally,、uh, 1932 were set up.、Um, originally, actually, part of Seiko Watches.、Uh, really? Originally set up Topcon, originally, yeah.、Uh, back in 1932. Now we have,、um, we're directly in 26 count,、uh, countries throughout the world.、Uh, and also then distributors throughout most other countries in the world, yeah.、Um, so you, you've really had a, a front row seat to、um, the. Increasingly digital construction technology environment、sure. that, that, that we're in. So,、yeah. actually, 
because you're in Ireland and other countries, yep. you might be in a position maybe to benchmark. How are you seeing the, because construction is such a traditional industry and, yep. and we're seeing huge areas towards uh, digitisation, yep. but how are you seeing Ireland, say, benchmarking against other European countries? The adoption rate of the technology, mm. yeah. So obviously with the upturn now in the construction industry over the last couple of years, we see a huge increase in the demand for the technology. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a couple of driving forces and factors behind that. Obviously, the upturn obviously in construction, as I mentioned, but also too in more efficiencies on site. Uh, probably one of the other driving factors is to do with the um, education and you know students maybe civil engineers haven't chosen those courses over the last 10 years mm-hmm. and so those um, students are not coming out of college so one of the ways the industries and the construction companies can um, make their business more efficient uh, is to add technology uh, so that um, reduces potentially the requirement for engineers for example and, and the skills gap business. but the skills gap in construction certainly isn't an Irish problem this yep. seems to be a, a, a global problem and I, I understand that you know if we look back a decade you know this wasn't a profession maybe that school leavers were yes. choosing um, sure. as a primary form of uh, of their universities yep. um, or even intern or apprenticeships yep but is that is that can we attribute too much to that? I mean, is this an industry that needs to become automated to make it viable, to make it scalable? You know, uh, is is that maybe one of the driving forces? For sure, yeah, absolutely. We and you mentioned there the uh, skills gap, but something that f- to bring people into the industry itself is something that we're actually looking at at the moment. We we, for example, deal with third level education, but something we're looking at recently actually is something in second level. Uh, to um, bring more people into the industry. Obviously, we know construction hasn't got the best of images when it comes to it when they're competing, you know, for um, IT students. Mm-hmm. Competing against IT, you know what I mean? It has mm-hmm. that... Uh, and is there a vacuum there, do you think, with the students in relation to a career in, 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 in engineering? It's a perception, I suppose, that's there, isn't there, within construction? So it's something that needs to be obviously addressed, not by ourselves, obviously, but by the whole industry. And that's something that yeah. we, we're looking at and we have a keen global interest in actually yeah. addressing that too and, and and helping that in some way to change oh, the perceptions, I suppose. Absolutely. I'm delighted to hear that you're going into secondary schools and I hope the next time we have a conversation yep. you l- will tell me that you've gone into primary schools and not just boys' schools, yep, yep, but yep. mixed schools absolutely, and girls' yeah. schools. Um, and one of the reasons for this that I, I recently, I recently um, at an event was seated next to a career guidance teacher from a secondary yep. school and she went on to talk about how trying to encourage um, that you know, trying to encourage particularly uh, females into the industry was yeah. one thing, but um, I, the level of understanding as to how uh, how digitised the the whole process is getting, or in terms of construction moving towards uh, offsite yeah. or um, MLC methods of modern construction, there isn't a good understanding with the people who are advising the sure. students who are going to be moving in and choosing college courses that's, that's a real problem so I mean it's one Absolutely. thing to get to the students but yep. maybe should we be educating our career guidance teachers that actually 100% construction doesn't happen on site anymore we've just done something recently with Terenure College who are the first in Ireland to adopt what's called class of your own so it's um, Alison Watson um, who's now an MBE awarded for that for her efforts in second level where she's actually introducing what's called a design engineer and construct module into uh, for us is transition year and the whole idea of that is as you say at that age in transition year they're thinking about their CEO yeah. so for us it's too late whenever they're at third level because mm-hmm. they've already decided they're 
possibly their career path and that's yeah. what their education is, is focused on if it's IT for example so what we've done, decided to do and it's been very very successful for Alison now she's rolling this out in not just the UK Dubai Asia US now in Ireland as I say with Terenure and now we're as you say with a career guidance we're actually informing the career guidance teachers within Terenure for example and also the students themselves of what the possibilities are within construction for both males and females and yeah, absolutely. To, you know, to, uh, to change that perception of construction and what it is and showing them the digital side of it. But also you know, showing possibilities. for people who are interested in a career in IT that actually a career in IT and a career in construction aren't different things. Absolutely, Similarly, 100%. You know, so so the, uh, turn your college obviously prompted Alison or Alison prompted them to become yes, involved. Yeah, basically, yeah, 100%. And they could see and that there is, they, they can see that there is a demand there, if that makes sense. And yeah. it's how do we focus these students in thinking about this as a career path. So obviously then, then they're getting backed by the third level. The likes of uh, TU Dublin, for example, are really encouraging uh, the likes of Terenure and helping them to, you know, show their students uh, this career that yeah. the opportunities that are, that are here, if that makes sense, and changing that perception, as I say, of construction. It's not just, you know, uh, being on site in the, you know, 12 months a year, no matter what the weather is. Yeah. That, for example, an engineer of the future will be sitting basically in uh, an IT office where he's controlling machines from the, uh, from the, the comforts of, a, yeah. of an office, you know what I mean, instead of walking around the site. And that has health and safety aspects, not just the actual IT aspects and not just the, the personal engineer himself, yeah. uh, their self, sorry, him or her. And it's, it's, it's basically, it's changing that perception of what the future of the industry is. Okay, and I think that's massively important. So that was one of the reasons that we really wanted you to join us in studio to talk about it. Um, we, we understand that, that encouraging the next generation is massively important. But as sales manager, I would imagine that you meet people of... Um, generations the, who who would be slightly more advanced and maybe not so receptive Absolutely. to new things. Yeah, for so sure. So, tell me, just in terms of going out, um, adoption rates of technology, this is something we've looked at from particular technologies, whether it's BIM or, or other types of technologies. How are you finding it with the technology that you're offering? I think what's happened now, there's external forces, as we just talked about, for example, is the lack of uh, resources. And now they're having to realise that the, the the people aren't there. I mean, you know, the resources are not there, so they're trying to f- something that has to fill that gap. And technology is one of those ways they can fill that gap. Do you think that's one of the primary um, motivations behind Absolutely. adoption across the construction? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yeah. Really? So, I, because I I would have thought, well, obviously, this, uh, the labour cr- shortage is a huge thing, but also the margins getting tighter and tighter. Yep. That it's just not allowing for maybe a human element to do things yep. that don't require a human yep. element. You know, and, and this is where we're going. You know, the industry it. itself, if you think about it, construction is probably the largest industry in the world, but yet it's the least automated. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Is that The right? least automated of all the industries yeah. in the world. That's just uh, Because amazing. I suppose there's such a heavy emphasis on the manual aspect 100%. Absolutely, yeah. But there should not be when you no, think no, about no, it. Because if I'm, you think yeah. about something like yes. bricklaying, it, it, it's a yes. t- yep. typically... But, but, but yep. it's so old, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, it's not like medicine and so forth where technology yep. now is, is, is seen as, as, as a very positive yep. thing. Yep. Yep. Mm. Yep. Whereas we still associate building with the old, yep. the buckets and, 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 the, and the wheelbarrows. And we mentioned IT companies, <clears> for example. <throat> we know for a fact that the likes of Google, uh, Tesla, uh, Elon mm. Musk's company has a, uh, the boring company. They're setting up construction companies now. So they're competing against the traditional con- uh, construction companies. What Sorry, they have, I, I haven't heard that. Elon yeah. Musk Elon is setting Musk up a construction company. Has a construction company. Already has completed projects. In, 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 in the States, In the obviously. States, yeah. yes. Yeah, 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 and yeah. obviously the financial backing. All on, all on. Now, are these, yeah. Sorry, are these modular? Or no, he has a tunneling. 
So he's building tunnels. Oh, uh, infrastructure. Infrastructure, Sorry, infrastructure, construction yeah, yeah. jobs. So he's competing yes. against the traditional construction companies, but he obviously has the financial backing, obviously too. And Google are the same because they can see the IT. They can see that there's a gap there within the, the digital side of it that traditional companies are not embracing it as much or as quickly as they should be. So they have already got the IT side of it and they can see that there's a gap there that they can fill and they can move in there. Yeah. So they're already starting to do it. I think it's really interesting. I mean, this time last year when we started... The, we started the show and we started talking about technology and covering particularly prop tech and construction technologies. One of the really poignant things that was pointed out um, by Tom Parlin in the CIF, the Construction Industry Federation, was that, you know, decades uh, decades ago, in times of crisis, construction workers from Ireland had to emigrate. Now they were exporting. Yes. And this is such a fundamental shift that's going to reimagine construction. And it's given... Uh, Ireland has taken quite a leadership position. And I'm not sure how recognised in Ireland that is, that yep. actually Ireland has shown leadership in terms of um, certainly off-site, off-site yep. manufacturing yeah, and, and other areas. I found it actually amazing just in the Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks ago I read an article in relation to uh, the population. The global population is going to be 9 million. 9 billion, billion. by 2050. Mm-hmm. It's 7.7 billion at the moment. How is that infrastructure gap going to be filled? You know, if it's not using technology. And that's why the likes of these large IT companies, Google, the boring company Tesla, is a legal in general in the UK are starting to build houses. Mm-hmm. Um, IKEA oh, are starting to build houses. modular houses. Okay. So these large, large global companies are starting to move into construction because they can see these statistics that are there, 9 billion people, 7.7 billion at the moment. Like, how is the infrastructure needs going to be met? to meet uh, are they, are they being So that's, that's the same the size as five yeah. times uh, Europe. You know, so the yeah, construction yeah. of five Europe's has to happen between now and twenty fifty to meet the needs and demand of the growing population. So you definitely need to motivate your students, or there'll be nobody to do that. For sure. Yeah. How is that going to happen? Can Can we just get a little bit specific about the technology? Because yes. I've never I've never um, tried any of your yep. your technology. So talk us through. Say, um, who are your main customers? So all of the large contractors basically would use in some sort of either software or hardware. So um, traditionally, we would uh, laser levels for for two D for two D for example for levels. And then mm-hmm. bringing that the next level would be 3D, so a robotic total station, for example. And that's usually you put a 3D drawing. You can survey a greenfield site, move that drawing, basically uh, that survey into a 3D software, and then create your design, your housing design, for example, and then put that back onto your instrument, and you're able, the engineer is able to set it out. Now we can take that a third level again, a next level again, which is putting that CAD drawing onto an excavator or a dozer. So instead of having an engineer spraying paint on the ground for the outline of where the buildings should be, for example, or the road layout, now we can put that into the machine itself and we can uh, automate that process. So that, that we, so we can put the CAD drawn onto the operator, into the machine itself. Okay, are you... So instead of any longer... So it's all computer-driven, obviously. Then. It's computer. Yeah, mm. exactly. So the CAD drawn is on the machine. So instead of that being completely dependent on just the operator and maybe being indicated by somebody externally outside the machine of where he needs to be, when he needs to be. We can actually put the control into the control of the operators now and they can actually see exactly where they're at in relation to where the finished design should be. Yeah. So they're cutting exactly to the finished levels and exactly the correct direction. So we're putting the uh, the 3D drawn onto the machine itself. You have great uh, YouTube videos. 
because I yeah. looked through a few of those and actually you, you have them explained very well and I think you have a couple of videos that actually show just how quickly people who might have been in the industry for decades yep. who've never embraced technology previously how quickly they yep. could be trained up because I think you've won where you do a training session of about 20 minutes and then exactly. people go off and use yep. the technology yep. and that's the thing about it there is a bit of a fear factor there Yeah. but that fear factor you know is literally within minutes as you say we can have them show them something and they can see the penny drop straight away or they can see the efficiency straight away Yeah. you know it also improves on, on operators for example how good the operators it mm-hmm. can make them a lot more efficient and that's what the construction of companies want as you say with the low margins that they have they need to make these operators and these machines a lot more efficient so I can and see these guys I can see these operators getting very nervous the, 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 well, the thing about it is yeah, with, well, with the figures and, as and, we and, just and, talked about earlier on there's operator shortage too huge operator okay. shortage within the industry and so what we can do is now we can put a system on there that can make an average operator a lot lot more efficient and that's yeah. what we're able to do and that's on the construction side and the you know on the machine side mm-hmm. and the other side we can you know uh, verification tools on site for example so you've got a design of a site uh, and a you know vertical construction we can actually scan that as it's going up and near real time we can actually uh, scan the actual building itself to make sure it's actually to the, the, the design and if it's not we can update the design literally nearly in, in real time if you know what I mean so there's those tools there it's, it's technology tools that so you're not just talking about man hour savings you're talking about cost savings cost for savings, project revisions rework for example yeah. revisions rework yeah. up to 30-40% of savings possible so instead of it being the off-site manufacturing to make sure the construction on site is happening properly mm-hmm. we can actually update the model fairly quickly literally near real time and to yeah. update the guys off-site to make sure right okay this opening instead of this design and this measurement it's now actually this on site change the design and same yeah. as it's not land into site and then rework has to happen so we can avoid that yeah and um, um, we, we know that that's we know that that's the direction it needs to go and, and anything that will improve margins for the construction industry you know it, it traditionally was said that the construction sector were uh, difficult they were difficult buyers they were difficult to sell to whereas I don't yeah. I don't think that's true at all actually I think that they're absolutely value driven so if there's value yeah. to be added something that's going to improve the margins then they're very quick to embrace it yeah. I, I haven't found them slow to embrace anything that's going to to improve the margins I think that's a really it's that initial jump yeah once they jump on that and they realise and see the benefits straight away. And they do. They can see the benefits straight away. And once they see that, the efficiencies, the saving, um, the systems and how efficient, you know, it's a no-brainer for them. And it just leads to more and more and more. Absolutely. And by the way, before we let you go, congratulations. I see that you have been shortlisted for Digital Innovation yeah. at the 2020 ICE Awards. Yeah, so really excited about that, actually. So it's a new tool, basically new to the industry. I just spoke about it a second. It's a near real-time verification tool. So it's not just a piece of hardware, but it's also software combined together. Mm-hmm. And it just verifies that the design itself is actually what's been built inside. If it's not, we can update that design fairly quickly, near real-time. It's, it's fairly unique within the industry, which is uh, really exciting, actually. And again, adds to efficiencies. Very good. When, when are the awards? It's coming up in a couple of weeks' time. I'm not exactly sure of the date, so... Oh, yeah, well, it's in the convention centre in Dublin, so we're looking forward to that. Best of luck. We'll keep our fingers crossed. Thanks, we'll keep our fingers crossed for you. Um, so, Carl Freel of Top Gun Ireland, thank you so much for joining us today. Coming up after the break, we will be speaking to Jim Earl, uh, CEO of Property Button. Stay tuned. Your community radio for South Dublin. This is Dublin South FM. Are you part of a local community group or representative organisation active in the Dunleary Rathdown area? Why not join a network of over 400 such groups in the Dunleary Rathdown Public Participation Network? You can join the group, influence local policy, get regular updates about funding and other opportunities, connect with other groups like yours, publicise your group, and even get free training and support. 
Make sure your voice is heard through DLR Public Participation Network as a registered group in the county. Dunleary Rathdown Public Participation Network. For full information, find us online at dlrppn.ie. That's dlrppn.ie. Could you and your dog spend one hour per week bringing special moments to people in care centres? Or would you like one of our volunteer visiting teams to come and visit your care centre? At Irish Therapy Dogs, we have a dedicated interest in the use of pet therapy for people in long-term or daily residential care. A professional organisation aimed at providing a pet therapy service on a national basis. If you with your dog would like to get involved, or if you would like one of our visiting teams to visit your care centre, then please call us on 01544-6198 or visit irishtherapydogs.ie for more information. Senior Line is a confidential telephone service for older people. Free phone 1-800-80-4591. We're open every day of the year from 10am till 10pm, including Christmas Day and New Year. So it's free phone 1-800-80-4591. We're there if you need someone to talk to and need someone to listen. We're older people too, so we will understand and we're very good at listening. Did you get the Senior Line number? It's free phone one 800 80 Everything's fine on 93.9 Dublin South FM. And you're very welcome back to Property Matters here in Dublin South FM with Carol Talon and myself, Brian Fox. So as mentioned before the break there, we're now joined in the studio by Jim Ural, CEO of Ural. <laughs> Jim, thanks for uh, we, we'll, we'll stay with your first day Yeah, <laughs> well, let's go with Jim well, get, the, get the company name <laughs> right anyway So you're here from Property Bob Property That's right. Jim, let's just begin by asking you uh, You've been here in the, in the studio before Just talk through your range of services Before we get into the actual interview itself Sure, yeah, we started out um, Solving utility problems um, uh, Mainly for letting agents um, And we've, we've developed that into Sales estate agents and developers So uh, I guess, you know, a bit of context, about one in 10 utility switches go wrong. And and it can seem like such a simple thing that Carl moves out of a house, Brian moves into a house, and it just seems like it should go like clockwork. Yeah. But but it doesn't. Yeah, um, yeah. About one in 10 of them go wrong. And there's all these problems like disconnects and reconnects and billing issues and debt flagging. Not that there would be debt flagging between Brian and Carl now, but, but, but these things can happen in the industry. Um, and if you're doing... 10 of these a month, um, then the one that goes wrong is novel for you, it's new and it's hard to solve and it can block the sale of a property or it can block um, a new tenant moving into a property. That's a week's rent gone wallop. Um, but it's also time because I know I, in speaking with independent estate agents, um, one of the one of the um, time delays, you know, we asked them about kind of where they're wasting time. Mm. And one of them is on hold to utilities that yeah. can be up to 20 minutes per call and it can require a number of calls. That's it. That's it, Carl. Time. And we do thousands uh, and thousands of these a month. Um, so... The stuff, the problem that's novel for for your sales agency or your builder's firm or your letting agency is bread and butter for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we work with all the utilities, and and that's where we started out. We built ourselves a name in that area. We've most of the letting agents in the country, an increasing number of the sales estate agents in the country, because it's just a nice post-sale service for them. Mm-hmm. They don't have the same requirements, but it delivers a lovely, compliant. You move into a house, you have a hundred and one things to do, and it's just nice to be able to get an SMS 
click on a link and see, oh, there's all the services available at my house and a really simple way to choose the ones you want. Um, just taking all, all the heat out of it for you. And just and from a, a sales or, or a letting agent's perspective, just that assurance that if something goes wrong, and it does, one yeah. in ten times, that there's this crowd who can manage that for you in a smooth way. And, and that's the property button business. Mm-hmm. So that would be seven days a week then, I take it, is it? Yeah, it yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. it can be. We run everything on Salesforce, and I can be really killed at home because I constantly look at my phone and go, right, what's in, what isn't, and just tracking everything through the business across the dashboards that we use to see, you know, problems and switches that have come in and, and resolution timeframes and just making sure that we're hitting the, the service agreements to our customers that, that we want to achieve and, and that's been a significant differentiator for us that service yeah. um, just going look you have a problem it's new for you it's bread and butter for us yeah. we'll knock that out and let you know when it's done and right. and that's something um, last year you were in studio with us and it was in the context when we were talking about um, mm. tech adoption rates yeah. across estate agents and you probably heard Pat Davitt from IPAV in with us earlier today and just last week there was a call out for a greater digitisation of the process of buying and selling and mm. transferring um, properties in Ireland so this is something that uh, estate agents are getting from all sides now and that wasn't the case a few years ago and I think last year one of the interesting things was that we saw in terms of tech adoption that actually your utility switching service was one of the first pieces of technology that some estate agents around the country were using. So you were the their introduction to technology. Yeah. So because you work now with so many of the estate and letting agents around the country, how have you geared up your services um, in terms of going beyond utility s- switching? Perfect. Yeah. So... I, 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 exactly. You know, we, we engage with these sales agents, these letting agents, letting agents in particular, and we identified a new problem they were having, particularly related to, to rental properties, which is you advertise a property um, for rental in, in any of our, our, our metropolitan, our, our towns, um, and there's such a low availability that you will have hundreds of people applying. Um, and they will send you all sorts of personal information about themselves and their parents. Um, the love letters. Uh, uh, they, yeah. <laughs> uh, poor devil's side. It's just yes. so hard to get a property. And they're, from a, an estate agent perspective, they're going... I'm getting a flood of yeah. emails and I don't know who's good and who's bad. I don't know, you know, I, I need a fair way to compare these because I can't look at 400 emails. In one case, in for a property in Bray, we saw 2,800 applications. 2,800 in Bray? In Bray. Was this a house or apartment? Three-bed semi, uh, standard three-bed semi. Wow. Availability of property in North, North Wicklow in particular has, has been uh, property, mm-hmm. family property, has been like hen's teeth, mm-hmm. really like hen's teeth. So... You see that, and as a state agent or a letting agent, you're sitting there and you're going, how do I manage that? You know, with uh, GDPR legislation, with the anti-discrimination legislation, how do I do that in a fair and transparent way? And it's been almost impossible. Um, so we developed and rolled out and beta tested last year a service we call Moving, um, and it, it's gone really well. Um, and we'll announce quite shortly uh, a partnership with with a major um, much bigger than us company here in Ireland to, to roll out that service and that's Any a rollout hints? nationwide we can't right now <laughs> I wish I could um, I'm being so, a bit of a so tease I know but an, you'll be the first one I'll call could you give us an idea of how, how it works yeah. could you give us an idea of how moving works yeah, it does sound so it's it's well, we think it's cool, but yeah. you know I would think it's cool. Um, 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 uh, if my daughter was here, she'd flick her eyes to heaven. Um, but you apply for a viewing for a property, and as a tenant, um, your experience is you log on to a portal, you apply for a viewing, 
and you may get an acknowledgement that, that that your email has been received, but that's it. Um, uh, and you may do that over a period of three or six months, probably that's a regular experience to 30 or 40 properties and not really know what's going on. You know, are you in the mix or are you not? How should you improve your application so you get into the mix? You, there's no feedback and it's just a horrible experience. You know, um, uh, you've got a couple of co-tenants, things are changing for everyone. It's just really frustrating. You know, you can just see how that's just not nice. Mm. From an estate agent side, they're getting hundreds, if not thousands, of applications going, I need to manage these in a compliant way. How do I do it? Mm. Um, Really difficult for them. You know, really difficult for them to do that in a compliant way, but really difficult for them to manage their brand because you want to respond to everyone and say, thank you for your application, Carl, or unfortunately at this stage, or I presume I presume most of these applicants over time may become potential buyers and then subsequent sellers. So Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Relationship property has always been about people and technology just facilitates that. It doesn't replace it. So 100%. you know, I, I can understand from even a reputation management point of view that it's really important for overburdened estate agents to get this right. And we you you see a recognition of that, Carl, actually um in 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 the market now where where there was very clear distinction between rentals and sales as as professions um, and how they were managed in the past. You absolutely see by estate agents and by prop tech companies like ourselves that people start their property journal uh, journey as a renter. Um and they're going Whereas before, everyone perceived that you get on the property ladder yeah. at X stage and you buy a house. Sure. That's long delayed now because of affordability. So people are recognising you need to give people a really good service in their 20s when they start um, and they and potentially they'll stay with you when they buy or they'll remember you when they buy and, and buy and buy again. Mm-hmm. Um, so absolutely. And I think there's a recognition of that now, um, Yeah. Carl. And um, in terms of, because it's not just estate agents you're working with and tenants, because I can see that tenant that tenant mm. portal uh, moving. Uh, that's something that benefits both the tenants and and the, the estate agents. But you're working across the full spectrum. So you're actually working to speed up the delivery of these homes as well. Yes, How are you doing that? So we, 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 our utility, the ability that we built in utility and that understanding and mm. the relationships we had, um, we could see for building a house, there's just so many parties involved. The big builders now are trying to pour a foundation, build a house and sell it within 16 weeks. And, and to do that, you just need a huge amount of coordination. And just on the utility side, you have to coordinate at the early planning stage to get your cabling in around you, your estate as you're building the roads, mm-hmm. getting the ducting in. So, so our team engage with builders at that very early stage, at planning application stage, advising them what's available, the trends in the market, what can be installed, and actually helping them with the negotiation of those contracts with the cable uh, companies. So that's number one. I, I need to put it to you then. Mm. Do you deal with Irish Water? Unfortunately, we don't. Um, okay. uh, it's because they say, just they're quoted so often as being this the, the cause of delays for new homes that are sitting waiting ready to go cannot get connection to to um, Irish Water and they're being cited in construction and and new homes delivery delays consistently now publicly yeah. and privately. No, we hear it a lot. Um, um, I get, when you get into these problems, like we we got into the electricity and gas problem and we consistently heard that you know 
it was X company to blame or Y company to blame. And when you get into it, you realise that there's a builder trying to build a house. There's a, uh, a contractor trying to complete the wiring and, and hand over the wiring um, in that property at a certain time. There's a retail network provider that needs to get the registration um, so that they can actually create a bill for that property. And there's the network provider that wants to put in a meter. And you look at this problem and you go... Um, it's actually a bit of a wicked problem because everybody has their own goal and objective, which they're individually achieving, but it's not coordinated between those four parties. And that's where we came in. We, we could see, OK, well, we can make sure that the data is available at each point in time. So if the wiring search is completed, making sure that that is registered with ESB Network. So ESB Networks then have everything they need to complete the next step in that. So that bringing just that 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 understanding of what each of the parties need is their crucial inputs and putting that under their nose and accessible at the right times. So there will be other delays because when, when data meets a construction site, the real world gets in the way of me sitting in my office in Bray saying, oh, this is how it will beautifully work. But but there are people who understand that a lot better than me. But but our job is to make sure that the the data problems that currently exist, we remove those and we create better coordination between the four parties. So I suppose ultimately there. your service pays off for the for the builder in, in terms of snags and, and problems at the other end of the at the other end of the sale. That that's it, Brian. You know, to, to be able to hit like the um, to be able to hit a sixteen week or a twenty four week, whatever it is, um, uh, um, uh, poor foundation to sale cycle, you need the various Proper parties lined up. Like line up. ducks in a row, in other words. Yeah, like a one week delay on putting in a meter. You know, like that. That's you cannot um, uh, complete your snagging. Uh, you cannot complete your fix two unless the meters are in live. You can't do the gas until the electricity is done. You can't do the electricity until the cert is completed. You can't complete the cert unless etc, etc, etc. And we just need to make sure that those things are coordinated for our developer. And they can see the benefit now uh, of oh, your yeah. service. Thankfully now. Thankfully it has, now. It's taken time, obviously. Yeah, it has. It's like any new thing. And you're talking to people who know their job and, and they look at you and they go, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. um, but, but we've been at this a good few years now. Um, uh, we've, we've proven ourselves out to the utilities that we're a trusted partner, that we're not, you know, we're not flying by the seat of our pants. Uh, we've proven ourselves out to the the builders and the developers so that, you know, our name is passed in between uh, those mm. guys that will do what we say we do. Um, mm. and, and that's working well for us. You yeah, know? and look, as, as you point out, you um, Property Button is one of the longest established um, property technology companies yeah. in Ireland and you're certainly probably one of the most widespread uh, across various sectors mm. of the industry. I'm going to put you on the spot. What's new? What, what are you working on? What are you innovating for 2020? Yeah, so so um, uh, our moving service is 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 the crucial thing for us. So we've been sounds exciting. It really is. Where are our adoption rates right now? So we put it into 11 um, um, agents for beta testing, and we, like our to be frank, our initial objective for that was let's um, uh, let's get more utility switches out of because that's where we make money. But the agents and the tenants just loved it. Um, Great. Uh, the, and then 
thankfully, the Data Protection Commissioner issued a set of guidelines in July stating this is how you need to behave. And if you map them to moving, they're almost directly correlated. So we were going, thank you very much, yeah, yeah, Data yeah. Protection Commissioner. Um, so, Without consulting you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but, that, but that's a really important yeah. one because um, no, certainly no, agents are, are terrified, yeah. are terrified about not complying. And it's very difficult to comply when the guidelines aren't clear. And they so have, they th- that was really now. Yeah, so that was something yeah. that was badly needed. Badly needed and done, you know. Right, so so now, what's the next stage? So, you, so you've tested worked, in 11 We've tested agents. it, we've signed a partnership here in Ireland, we're in rollout, that will secure the Irish market for us, that, that deal. Um, uh, that will roll out in June. Um, so so that's Ireland. Um, uh, um, and, and then we're, we're, we are, we've worked with Enterprise Ireland to enter the Netherlands. So, oh, okay. um, that's my next question. Right. Uh, Expansion. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so the Netherlands looks like the right next market for us. Um, Enterprise Ireland have been fantastic for us. They entered the Eurozone programme. Um, yeah. Really brought us through the whole process of identifying markets, understanding them, how to address them, uh, making sure that we're not going for... Germany. Let's yeah. go for Germany, you know, from little old Ireland, yeah. you know, bringing us to meet the Germans and the French and then understanding, okay, you know, they will work with us, but we need, uh, uh, you know, a core European market proof um, case. And then looking at those markets, what's addressable and focusing then in on the Netherlands that has the right attributes for us, you know. So. That's a really interesting one. Can I can I get specific here and ask you what are those attributes, as in what makes the Netherlands a good fit? Sure. Um, so um, That's not one I would have Jump to strong urban centres, um, uh, low availability of rental property, high demand for rental property, GDPR compliance, which of course is across the EU. Do home ownership rates and trends figure into this? Uh, they do, but a strong rental market, I guess, been the colliery almost of of mm. the home ownership. You know, um, uh, but but definitely those two things are related. But it's strong mm. rental market, GDPR do- compliance, strong par- property portals operating in the market strong demand. Crucially, what we saw in the Netherlands, and it's it's building here, but, but it's much stronger in the Netherlands, is a real focus by individuals in society to protect their personal data. So right. a real reticence on behalf of people to go, yeah, here's all my information yeah, yeah, to try and get a property. Yeah. They're very shy about giving out their data and moving allows someone to control their personal profile to say, I'll give this agent access to this bit because we're only at a a long list stage. Uh, over at shortlisted, I'll, I'll give more. Over at contract stage, I can reveal a lot. And to be sure that the moving application, if someone else has been chosen for a property or you haven't been shortlisted, that your information is removed from, from their view. But, but they must have a load delivery then in relation to houses as well if the, if the rental market is under pressure. Oh, I wouldn't be able to quote oh, you, Brian, yeah, on their, on yeah, their yeah, delivery yeah. Of, of property, but, but, but certainly in terms of rental property availability, the demand is, is far yeah. stripping supply. Um, uh, but that would be common in a lot of European markets, you know, um, in urban areas in, in European markets. Netherlands, uh, they adopt um, and they, don't, they give you the fast no. No, we do not want it. And that's what I want it, really, to be honest. I want to know. I don't want to waste a lot of time trying to sell to someone in the Netherlands who doesn't really want it. Mm. You know, sure. Yeah. That's an interesting... So what's the time scale for that? Uh, so we're completing our market entry strategy at the moment. We'll we'll present that to Enterprise Ireland uh, on Thursday, actually. Um, um, Best so, of luck. Uh, yeah, uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, uh, so next stage is then or we'll be in market um, in June uh, time frame we'll beta test 
probably towards the end of this year with half a dozen, a dozen agents, same way as we did in Ireland, make sure we've got product market fit, being able to show that to 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 the to the companies that we'd like to sell to, uh, the lot much larger companies and securing a deal. Um, uh, so. Exciting times ahead. Yeah. Very yeah, good. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much for joining us today. That was Jim Ural, uh, CEO of Property Button. Thank you so much for joining us. We'd like to thank all of our guests who joined us on the show this week. That's it from us today. Thank you for listening into Property Matters, the show where property matters. Get in touch with the show by emailing hello at iPropertyRadio.com or on Twitter at iPropertyRadio. Also, thank you to Peter Rice on sound and to our show producer, Katie Tallon. We're back the same time next week from Brian Fox and myself, Carl Tallon, and all the team here. Have a great week. We'll